Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Turn and Talk podcast. I am very excited to bring you a uh, first of its kind of an episode today because of a very special guest. So without further ado, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm great. How are you? I'm also doing very good and really happy that you took some time to talk with us today. You are a very special guest uh, because we have not had a young person on the show yet and would love to hear a little bit about you. Of course, yes. I began to write my book when I was about eight years old and I went into the editing and publishing process at the age of 11. I got published in May 2020, and since then I have gone on to write for Ariana Huffington's platform as a mindfulness coach. I've been featured on several podcasts and even CBS 6, and my trope is just to encourage and inspire someday thousands of young authors around the world. That sounds so lovely. And how old are you? I'm right now 13 years old. And you published your book at 12? Yes, that's correct. That is incredible. Uh, what a what a great achievement uh, and what an inspiration that is for a lot of young people. So again, uh, this is why this is such a special show today because uh, we have a very young author that could be an inspiration to a lot of people. And how did this whole book uh, thing come about at the age of eight, you said? Uh, you know, how did you come to the conclusion that you want to write a book, a st- tell a story, and actually publish it? So it was actually in my third grade class that I read a couple of thriller and mystery novels that really intrigued me and captivated me in that genre. And afterwards, I decided that I would experiment with first a couple of short stories in that genre and then after a chapter book and a novel. Cool. So it sounds like it started in third third grade. I mean, we're an education-focused podcast, of course, so I really just want to hear your experience of school. How, how has schooling education been for you? Do you like school? What have you enjoyed about it? Um, what do you want to see differently in schools? Uh, can you share a little bit about your, edu- your education experience? Of course. One thing that I'd like to see differently in schools is teachers having a more flexible reading program for students because often they just have a schedule that is um, uniform and unfluctuating for every single student. I think that each student needs their own personalizations for reading because uh, for me personally, when I was in third grade, I read books that were just a little bit more advanced than my classmates and it could sometimes be a little bit difficult to read at a level lower than I could already read. And one thing I would like to say is that I would encourage teachers to always just have flexibility programs for students because that is one key factor to their development. How were your reading classes growing up? Like, what do you remember? I do remember that my second grade teacher really helped me out with providing some amazing book recommendations, and she was actually the one who got me into writing, so I'm really grateful for that. Afterwards, I had some really amazing English teachers. English is a subject that I'm very passionate about, as I wrote a book and I love to read, and education is something that every single student needs, because without and without the support and the advice of many of my English teachers throughout the years, I wouldn't have been able to write the book and become a published author. Sure. And what about outside of school? It sounds like you start very early in third grade, uh, as far as the book was concerned that you wrote. But how much did you have to do outside of school to pursue that goal? I had to do quite a lot, but I did try my best to balance it out. And I was um, assisted by a lot of my family to balance everything, such as I would come home from school, I'd work for a couple hours. Then I would try to relax because I was still a kid and I couldn't work for 
too long. That was just overbearing for me, but it did take a couple years to fully get into the gist of things. I was I was completely fledged and new to this entire area, and I wasn't expertise in it, but by the end, I did get the hang of it. Many young people, I feel like, would be intimidated by uh, the idea of writing a book. Um, many young people enjoy reading and they love stories, and but the task of writing a book sometimes can feel like uh, it's very overwhelming, it's very big. Um, what advice would you give to someone your age, younger, older, who wants to write a book? I will say it was actually a pretty ominous task. I had to write at least five drafts at first before I actually could complete three chapters and keep going with that. But all I can say is keep writing. Don't don't pause to redo your work. Just write until the end and then from there on out you can redo your work as many times as possible. But you just you can't simply stop in the process because I did do that many times and that is a mistake I made. But with my book, The Black Sisterhood Files, I wrote until the end and then after that I began to polish and edit because I learned that writer's block is something that is only overcome by continuing to write and continuing to push yourself. That is such great advice. Uh, and thank you for sharing that because maybe I'll share that with some of my students. Uh, I teach reading and writing also. And oftentimes I, I say that to students or try to remind students as yeah, much as yeah, I can, yeah. don't stop writing, keep writing. Yeah. Um, thank you for that advice. Um, can we switch gears a little bit and just talk about your school year, this last school year? What grade were you in this last school year? Seventh grade. And how was it? Well, I'll admit that when quarantine started, it was really difficult because distance learning is something that we're all new to. But in the beginning of the year, as seventh grade is middle school in a completely in a completely new school, I did have some trouble at first becoming acquainted with all my teachers as an elementary scholar, already familiar with everybody. But I did have a lot of amazing teachers this year and a lot of amazing programs in the curriculum. When did you have to go remote? Did you guys go to a remote uh, to the remote environment? maybe January, February, or a little bit later? It was around mid-March that we went remote. Is there anything, like, what is the one thing, if I, had to, if I asked you, like, what is one thing you missed about the actual school or being in school, in the school building? Uh, what was the one thing that the, you missed the most? It's really, really hard to convey emotion or passion of any sort, even when it's an online Zoom class. And it was a lot, I must admit, it was a lot more advantageous and entertaining to do hands-on and collaborative activities with my class and my friends when we were actually in person because it's just not the same feeling when you're entirely virtual and you can only communicate with words rather than actions or hands-on tasks. Was there anything about the virtual environment when it started that you really enjoyed? Maybe it was surprising to you that you really enjoyed? Well, and you don't have to like anything. If you didn't like it, that's fine too. Well, yeah, I actually, yeah, I think I didn't really like the virtual learning at all. Maybe it will improve for this year because we have the first semester entirely virtual, but it was, it was really a hassle. Yeah. In March. A lot of students felt that way. Um, and mm -hmm. it, it was just very hard to motivate yourself to be mm -hmm. at school virtually. Yeah. So hopefully this year's a little bit better. Do you know what school will be like this year for you? Actually, I don't because everything keeps on changing. I know for a fact that we have the first semester completely virtual, but afterwards it's unclear whether or not we will be going back to school or we will be continue vir continuing virtually. So I just hope that they improve this year in terms of the distance learning schedule. And let's talk about teachers a little bit. What do you see is the role of, of teachers? What do you think teachers should do and, and are supposed to do? How do you view them? 
the predominant factor that makes a well, quote-unquote good teacher, even though that's a binary term, but it is the ability to connect with students and help them out. Because, for example, I know that many students absolutely can't stand when they come up to a teacher and the teacher is unwilling to help them out or unable to answer their question. Because we as students, we need help from a teacher who's the guide of our classroom, and we want to establish some sort of a connection with them in order for them to understand us, because that will help us do better in their class and just in general, just better in the school and life. And, you know, what kinds of teacher ha teachers or, uh, have been your uh, favorite teachers, let's say? Uh, what kinds of teachers were they? My third grade teacher, actually both my third grade teachers, were probably the best teachers I've ever had over the years because they connected with their students in a manner that was perfect for a teacher and I was able to do very well in their class because they introduced creative and distinctive ideas that help the students learn in a unique manner. Do you feel that in order for children to be successful, young people to be successful, they have to like the teacher and the teacher has to like them? What do you think about that? Not necessarily because at the end, you always carve your own path in life. So not necessarily, no. Okay. Uh, thank you for those thoughts. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the challenges you might have had in, you know, the classroom or in, in a school setting and how you usually try to deal with those challenges? So the number one challenge may possibly be the inability to connect with a teacher, as I mentioned before, or having a teacher that doesn't appeal to you because then you can find it difficult to operate properly and work in that class. So the way I work with that is I usually try to find common ground with that teacher and I can sometimes discuss it with my friends or my parents. And yeah, that's how I work my way out of this situation. When you let, you know, going back to your, your big project of, of writing and publishing a book, uh, you said it took you know, a lot of trials and, and, and persistence, you took a long time to kind of work on that big project. What is, uh, you, you would say, the number one lesson you learned when you look back at that journey of writing and publishing a book? The number one lesson I learned from publishing a book is probably to never give up because I underwent many rejections along the ways from literary agents and different publishing houses. and I very frequently had the thought of just entirely giving up because I thought things would never work out. But a couple a couple years later, I realized that patience is the key to success and everything great takes time. Yeah. You know, thinking about this next school year, I'm sure we're going to need a lot of patience uh, mm -hmm. as well, given, uh, you know, the changing circumstances with the virtual and remote learning and distance learning. As we, again, get ready for kind of an unpredictable year, what do you what do you hope that teachers would do to make school what you want it to be? I hope that teachers will try to communicate one on one with their students more and actually send personalized assignments and check in on them, see how they're doing at home, see if everything's okay, because some students really struggle with that and they often find a school to be their safe space. And I know for a fact that a lot of students would have done better this past year virtually if students had, if I'm sorry, if teachers had made a more prodigious effort to communicate and interact with them. You talked about assignments. Um, what kind of assignments do students like? And what kind of assignments do students hate, in your opinion? 
I would say that students really hate assignments with just questions because that can get very idle for us and we need something to stimulate our creativity. So it's best if it's something that involves imagination or creativity, such as writing a short story or coming up with a writing prompt or a, a task that is collaborative and includes skills such as resilience and communication and collaboration, which can help us improve. That's a great idea. Thank you. I'm thinking about, for example, and many teachers are right now, uh, uh, teachers are planning and trying to figure out how to start the school year in the best way possible, mm -hmm. um, because a lot of schools are going to be starting uh, remotely first. Uh, I am also going to be doing um, some remote teaching in the during the first week, and then we're going to do in-person accommodation. So, you know, I'm thinking about, all right, so in the first week, I'm going to meet students that I have never seen before. Mm -hmm. uh, and But then they're going to be on the computer. So what should I do in your opinion? How, how do I get to know them and connect with them through a computer screen? Do you have any ideas for me? I would say that in order to connect with your students, I noticed over the years that I have been a student that students really love teachers with a passion for the subject they are teaching. And if you express that passion, the students will find it much easier to connect with you and do better in your class. Thank you. It is incredible. It's such a pleasure talking to you because as I'm talking, I, I feel like I'm talking to a fellow professional who um, has really solid really advice. <laughs> so it's Thank it's uh, it's really great talking to you. Thank you for your advice. Um, you know, a, a, another like serious kind of topic, mm -hmm. one that I ask all teachers here on the show, uh -huh. and and that is that if education or schools or teachers are ever talked about on TV, it's it it's often from a negative sense. So there seems to be a prevalent idea that, you know, our schools aren't doing a good job. They're not uh, teaching students well, or they're not giving them skills and knowledge that the kids really need to be successful in the future. And they think that, you know, schools are, sometimes they say schools are failing. Mm -hmm. uh, as a student, what do you think? Do you think our schools are good, bad? Um, what's your opinion? I would actually say that it really depends not on the school itself, but on the teachers within it, because the teachers are the people who grow the community and who create the impressions that students have of the overall school. So I, from experience, can say that some teachers really just stem kids' growth and do not allow for them to harness and cultivate their creativity, whereas other teachers really make a prominent effort to do that. So again, it just depends on the teacher and the school. And I don't think we should jump to presumptions such as all schools are bad or all schools are good because, again, it depends on what's within it. So from, from that angle, mm -hmm. what do you think schools then should do more of? So as I said previously, students really dislike when our creativity is stemmed or hindered by teachers in a manner such as just uh, plain exams or multiple choice questions or something that does not allow for us to expand our imagination. Also with writing prompts in English, I don't, I actually don't think that it's really helpful for English teachers to assign the topic students should be writing on and limit where their creativity can go because every student's writing style is different and they should be able to express it in a manner in which appeals to them. I think that's also very good advice for a writing teacher. I think some of the best writing often comes when students can write freely with 
without constraints about what they want to mm -hmm. write about. Yeah, I agree. Um, have you had experience with standardized testing? Yes, I have. And Many times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of knew the answer to that question already, but I just want to make sure because some, some, you know, lately some parents have been able to opt yeah, out, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do you, you just said something about, you know, multiple choice questions and that, so that made me think of the question. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you feel about standardized tests? In some ways, standardized tests can be beneficial to students and teachers and school systems, but in other ways, as I did mention a couple times before, they really just limit us to our abilities because I think that, for example, it's good that colleges have begun cutting off standardized tests and instead of replacing them with more and more essays where students can actually talk about topics that interest them and expand their creativity and talents. How do you view the use of technology in the classroom? You know, so many classrooms now have iPads and laptops, and now we're doing distance learning mostly on computers and things too. So how do you view the role of technology in the classroom? I think there should be an equilibrium between technology and just hands-on learning and hands-on activities because technology can be very, very beneficial in many, many ways. However, it also has its cons because it's unhealthy for us to stare into a screen too long. And yes, technology is becoming sort of the way in which we all, first of all, commute to work, commute to school with COVID-19 and, you know, find jobs and just everything. But at the same time, I think it's important that teachers allow for students to see the world in a fashion outside of technology. What do you think are some of the skills that all young people need to be successful in the future? I think it really varies for every student, but I would say the general skill is being able to communicate properly with others and express your thoughts clearly. Talk about your own personal um, goals for the future. What do you, what do you, where do you see yourself in five years and then in 10 years and then 15 years? In five years, I'd like to see myself already attending a university such as preferably an Ivy League such as Harvard or Stanford or something. And I'd like to be the published author of over two books, the best-selling author of over two books, have appeared on more podcasts and just become a public speaker and a mindfulness coach for thousands of people across the world. That's where I see myself in five years. That's awesome. We didn't talk a lot about mindfulness. You mentioned it mm -hmm. earlier at the beginning of the interview as well. Uh -huh. What is your interest in mindfulness? Can you tell us a little bit about how, like, what that journey was like? Yeah, of course. So mindfulness is really just an open-minded and a profound perception of the world around you. And two key factors of mindfulness are self-awareness and situational awareness. I mean, you are aware of your own emotions, your own situation, your own circumstances, as well as situational ones and those that fringe you and encompass your life. And so mindfulness is really just, again, being open-minded and having fluctuating and disparate perspectives on the world and being able to adjust to different environments. And how did you get into that? I got into that after I began to read a couple of books that focused on mindfulness and I read a couple of articles and then I began to listen to some podcasts and television shows on mindfulness. And I really got into that trope because it has helped me stay resilient over these years. And, and you mentioned you, that you're a mindfulness coach. Do you, and who, who do you, what types of people do you coach? So I actually write for a platform called Thrive Global. And Thrive Global was established by Ariana Huffington, who is also the CEO of Huffington Post. Well, the co-founder of Huffington Post. Um, she... She writes about how to prevent stress burnout, how to grow your mindfulness, how to develop relationships. She's been really focusing on COVID-19 lately. And 
I requested to be a part of that Thrive community, and she invited me to write for her. So I began to write a series of articles on mindfulness, on preserving healthy relationships, on my journey as a 12-year-old, well, now 13-year-old, but 12-year-old author, and so on. That sounds wonderful. And where do you see that work going? Do you plan on doing something like that, some mindfulness coaching with your peers at school and like people outside of your school? Yes. So I actually got in contact recently with a teacher of mine from elementary school as I'm now in middle school. And she invited me to, when the pandemic ends, come and speak at our elementary school, first of all, about my book and also about factors such as mindfulness and education and so on. What's a mindfulness strategy that you use yourself? A mindfulness strategy that I use myself is, well, different breathing techniques and simply just seeing the world in a different light. Sometimes it's really important that we see the world in a different light or from other people's shoes because that is the encapsulation of mindfulness. And that is, that is what we need to become a more open-minded individual. I have this final question mm -hmm. I ask all teachers, all guests on the podcast. So I'm going to ask you as well. If you could wave a magic wand to strengthen our schools, our education system, or change something about it or add something to it, take something away from it, what would you do with your magic wand? That's a very interesting question. I'm sorry, let me just think about it for a moment. You should take as much time as you need. You could do one thing, you could do many mm -hmm. things, whatever. You I actually really like how you approach that question. It's very interesting because the answer would obviously vary for every single student. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we could all wave a magic wand and create our own utopia, then there wouldn't even be any firm definition of utopia because we all have our own versions of a perfect school or perfect world or perfect community or environment. But for me personally, as I mentioned multiple times before, it would be for teachers to have a mindset focused more on harnessing their students' creativity rather than just getting them to pass their class and get good grades. Wonderful. Thank you. Do you think that this pandemic has changed schools forever? I think so, yes. Say more, how so? Well, for starters, a lot of students just have a completely different approach towards school now because either their approach towards it was tarnished or improved by virtual and the coronavirus. It's completely different for every single student. And for teachers personally, I think it's been really, really difficult. I, I actually spoke with a couple of teachers over the past couple of weeks, and I noticed that it's been very difficult for them to get back into the swing of things with COVID-19 because their students are, some many students are reluctant to go back to school for safety precautions, and they have to follow very, very, very strict precautions, just disinfecting their classroom and every single material every day. So I do believe that this isn't just temporary. It is going to impact schools permanently. What is one piece of advice you have for students starting school again uh, this fall? How should they approach another year that is uh, somewhat less predictable? I would say always have a fallback plan because you never know what's going to happen next. If your school fails at distance learning, you should always have a fallback plan because education is something you can't just entirely get rid of. However, if your school does succeed, there is no need for a fallback plan, but it's always important to have one in every situation. Well, I love that. I think teachers Thank should you. also take that advice to always have a fallback plan. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. 
And uh, I will uh, continue to look out for your second novel you said you were going to be writing, right? Yes. And and what's mm-hmm. the what's the timeline on that? The timeline I'm planning to have it published sometime by November, but I'm not sure. Oh wow! So you've already written, drafted it? Yes, I already yes. Mm-hmm. Good for you. And is it is this a sequel? No, I'm currently working on the sequel. This is just a standalone psychological thriller. Awesome. Sounds good. All right, we look forward to reading that too. Thank you so much thank for you. being on the show. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Have a good one. You too. Thank you.